Good morning. This is not a usual pulpit I have, but it's great. I like it. I feel like somebody's going to interview me, you know, up here. Um, by the way, I know Alan from college years too. So Alan, Andrew, myself, we all went to fellowship together. And I'm glad he stayed in architecture. That was one of my first major I explored to become an architect. I still kept a draft of my dream house. I drew, drew up, you know, 20 plus years ago at Berkeley, like from my drafting class. Now you use computer. You don't use it. But in any case, I'm glad somebody else is more passionate stay in the profession. Okay? But why do I mention this? It's because I went through seven majors when I was Cal. I know. I, I grad, I, when I told people the story and people asked me, how long did it take you to graduate? My parents would tell, thank God Peter graduated in four years, you know. But why do I mention that? It's because, you know what, it is a time people kind of wander around and people think about what they're doing. People are always wondering what they're doing in life, right? Especially if you're younger college students, you are always thinking, what is the next thing I should be part of? Before I bring to you this global mission this really God's greater story. And God has a great story that is going on across the world. And I want to tell you more about. I want to bring to your attention first that God has a very specific plan for you, each one of you. And if you're feeling that you're kind of lost, you are not alone. You are not alone. But there will be a day if you are open to what God is doing, that your little story will be part of this great story. Or part of God's his story, the history that he's painting, he's drawing, that you will be part of. And it will be no mistake, and you know that you are part of that. Last time I was here, I believe that was right before I was about to take off to, to Taiwan. So I've been in Taiwan for about eight months, since 10 months, something like that, since last June. Okay. And I look at my wife and I, and sometimes we stare at each other, and we still can't believe that we move into an apartment on the 21st floor in a big city. And I don't know if you know, Taipei recently, they had lots of earthquakes. They had 200 earthquakes in two weeks. And we live on 21st floor, okay? So it was a cross-cultural experience right there. And we're like, oh, we're just, I am having vertigo. No, no, we're just having an earthquake, okay? But we stare at each other and we say, we know exactly this is where we're supposed to be. And it's my prayer that one day you will feel the same way that you know that you are part of God's great story and what part you play in it. Let's pray together. God, I just want to pray that this morning, may you encourage each one of us. May you draw us into your great story. May you help us to see your heart of the mission for the people that you have for the world. For all ethnicity. For all groups of people. People far and near. God, may you encourage us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
when I, when I go, to, go to China, the, which I will be there, like I'm flying out tonight, the usual, there's two classes I teach. One is on church growth, because I did a couple of church plants here over here. And the other one will be uh, emotionally healthy discipleship. But when I start teaching church growth, then I realize the people in my class, I have probably 30 students, 50 students sometimes. So I said, so what's your background, you know, growing church? And one of the young students, you know, looks like he's 27, right? He's probably even younger, like 22. He would stand up and would be like, oh, yeah, I, I pastor three churches right now, you know. Each of them is like 50, 60 people, but because we couldn't get too big, so I had to preach at different times on Sundays and pastor them. And I said, why am I teaching church growth over here, you know? You should come over here and teach church growth, okay? And so on my missions trip, in my kind of engagement with a lot of the, the students that I'm teaching in China, I realized, you know what? I am not the teacher. In fact, I'm a student. So this morning, I want to bring to you a kind of a drawing of really what there is a growing movement, Christianity in, in China, in, in, in Asia, and what they have to teach us as I became part of this great movement. That I had an idea what I could have done to help, to empower, to, to encourage it, but I actually became the student. And this morning, I hope that we're all students to learn from this great missions movement. And it comes from the heart of Jesus Christ himself, doesn't it? Matthew 28, as Andrew referred to, verse 18 to 20. It says that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It is with this commission, it's with this power that they did send out. They were sent out. In Acts 2, and we see a brief description of this early church. And you can learn from this early church in the way that they interact with each other, what were some things that they were doing. And that we will see that in every and any growing Christian movement, in any and every growing Christian, those are the signs. Those are the things that you and I, we will be part of and participating. Verse 42 of Acts 2. Arthur says that they, the disciples, the church, what did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold properties and possessions to give to anyone who had in need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And Lord added to their number daily to those who were being saved. And Acts 
continues with this whole story of a growing Christian movement. Chapter 8 talks about a very important part. When they were having such a great time, the church is growing, they were fellowshipping, people loves them. Guess what? Chapter 8, that they were so comfortable that they had to be sent out. Verse 1, on one, that day, a great persecution broke out, and we know that there's a stoning of Stephen, the chapter before, against a church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So we, we see that. We will talk about a little bit of that as well. And finally, I want to draw to you uh, to the attention of Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. I want to quote just a little part where Paul really talks about why would this growing church movement, what gives the energy to the greatest social movement in the world? I mean, Christianity, we have so many believers around the world. What gives it? What, what was the original dynamic power? Paul says this. That's what drives him. And I hope it drives us as well. That whatever were gained to me now, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. But what is more, I consider everything a loss because the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God in the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Friends, if you have to combine all this together, I hope you will see a very clear picture. And this is what I show my students as well. That there's a pattern of growth of Christian church. The first that comes out is there's a commission that someone needs to go out to preach this gospel. And what is the gospel? This evangelism, this teaching of the disciples. We need to clarify that. Once it's said, you will say that there will be a company with wonders and signs. There's some kind of power that will be associated with it. And you will see that it changes the dynamic, the, the really nature of the people. They'll become people from selfish, self-centered people to generous people. Not only that they were generous, not only selfish with their time before, now they will want to hang out and fellowship with people, believers around them. And not only, them that, not only that they're not selfish in money and their time, but also their position, that they want to empower others, to encourage others into leadership roles. There's an organizational leadership development. And finally, when people get too comfortable, sometimes God had to intervene and persecution comes. So I'm going to go through that a little bit, one by one, how we can learn from the missions field, each one of them, how that's evident. And I hope that it encourages you in your own spiritual life so God can continue a renewing movement in your own spiritual life so that you'll grasp his vision. The first it comes to is that there is a commission. We heard that, that Jesus Christ commissioned his disciple to go out. And what gives them that power and, and passion to go out is that 
they, 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 they grasp what, what Paul was talking about here. That Paul considered everything a loss because of surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Friends, I don't want to preach this sermon this morning encouraging you or obliging you to go out. If you are a Christian, you should do this. No, you didn't hear any kind of obligation and, and guilt trip, right? Over here, do you? No. Paul says, I want to do this. I want to do this because I'm just pursuing Christ. And on my journey of pursuing Christ, guess what? Life comes. Lives come to him. Purpose comes to him. Commission comes to him. How many times I have encountered people just walking aimlessly in life? Maybe you're one of them right now. You say, I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe you are like me. I have seven majors from architecture to art to peace and conflict studies to sociology to Chinese and come back to sociology of China. That's what I graduated with. And you're wondering, and after I graduate, people ask, you know, my, a lot of people ask my parents, why did you let your two sons graduate with funny degrees like sociology in China? And my brother graduated with philosophy. I don't know if you know that. Okay? And they're like, what are your son going to do? You know, they're going like, to live in a house forever, right? No, but we found our calling. How do you find your calling? How did you know? People ask my wife and I. One of the first things that they heard that we are moving to Taiwan before, they would be like, wow, that's such a courageous thing you guys did. I'm like, what are you talking about? Taiwan is great, you know? It's not like we're moving to Ethiopia, right? It's, it's okay. But people do say that. And wh why do we do that? Wh what's so difficult about this? People say, oh, it's so hot. Yeah, it is hot. It's, it's got a lot of mosquitoes. Oh, man, I hate mosquitoes. It's true. It's so bad. You know, people, people talk about, you know, it's so difficult. And don't get me wrong. If you are living in the Bay Area, Bay Area weather is the best in the world. Okay. I flew in 10 days ago. Oh, keep on going, slides. Okay. Um, 10 days ago, you know, driving back to, to Cupertino, I'm like, wow, sunshine. Okay, if you imagine Taipei winter, it's like Seattle, just 20 degrees hotter. Does that make sense? It's just like drizzling all day long. Okay, I love to play ultimate outdoor, you know. The whole winter, three months, I probably play twice. You know, I usually play three times a week in California. Okay. So is there a sacrifice? Absolutely. Absolutely. But how do you know you're in the place that you're supposed to be? People keep on asking us that. And when I told them that, it was not a difficult decision, especially when my wife came on board. And I want to tell you a little bit of a story how my wife came on board. I was already part of this great commission working overseas, working with another missions organization, preaching and teaching in China over 100 days a year on average for a couple of years. So I was traveling a lot. 
at the end of my travel trip, you know, in Hong Kong, I, I just went to Beijing, Hong Kong, and, and Taiwan. I just say, honey, just come over. So my wife came over to took a vacation with us in, in Hong Kong. And while we're eating our $10 a bowl, you know, wonton noodle soup, I just keep on telling my wife. And you, you guys, if you guys go to Hong Kong, you know how expensive it is in Hong Kong. Okay? I just keep on telling her, Taiwan is so cheap. <laughs> while we're eating this $10 bowl of, you know, wonton noodle soup, right? You know, I was meeting up with one of my uh, students from before. Now he's a CTO at... Um, He's a chief tech technology officer at China Morning Post, and he has an apartment 600 square feet. He's paying like over 4,000 US dollars. Just to let you know, it's really expensive living in Hong Kong. Yeah. And I just keep on telling her. And then I was telling her a story, my wife's story, that I had a friend in Taiwan that just because the rent is so cheap, you can have a nice two bedroom, three bedroom apartment, rent it for 200 bucks. So one of my friends had a great idea. I just rented out ten, three hundred dollar hotel rooms and turned it into bed and breakfast. Posted on Airbnb and making a killing on it. Selling to people like you guys going to Taiwan, right? So I was just telling her about it, and and she the first reaction she was like, "I am not running Airbnb in Taiwan." That's what she said. I don't know what she get the idea that somehow I command my family members to do what I, whatever I say. But two weeks later, as she, we, we kind of conversed, it was not my intention to, to kind of arm wrestle her, to force her to go to China, to go to Taiwan, whatever it might be. But she has been teaching in the Chinese seminaries in North America, in the Bay Area. Because she's a marriage family therapist and she's been helping a lot of Chinese families. And she just, she has this burning desire and she sees the dysfunctions, the needs, the, the, the marriage issue. The issues between parents and their children, first, second gen. And, and she's been spending a lot of time doing that. And, and something clicked in her head. Because... From all this time before, we, we were kind of struggling. I mean, she's been a pastor's wife for 20 years. I've been a pastor. But now I, I'm a director of a missions agency. I have to raise funds. And for, for three years prior, I was raising funds on my own. And every time I asked her to help me out, she said, Hey, you are the missionary, okay? I'm here. And, and, and we have juggled my traveling schedule. And during that two-year, friends, I have to say that we were praying and we were saying, well, how can we, our lives converge? How can we, you know, we were struggling. Even in our marriage, I have to confess because of my traveling schedule. I don't see my daughter as often. And we were trying to, to make a way to make things work. But we, we say it to God and we pray it to God like, how, how can we dedicate more time to each other, maybe see each other, maybe how she can come on to some of those trips with us. And, and we were exploring all those options. But friends, do you realize so often when we want to know God's will, we really, we just give him multiple choice? I mean, you, you, you ask a question, you know, should I work in Google or, or Facebook? 
you probably would, wouldn't mind ending up in either one of them, right? Well, I'm, you, you, you ask, like, where should I live? Should I live in Cupertino or Sunnyvale or, or Fremont? Or, you know, you probably, it's already a neighborhood that you pre-selected and say, God, which house to buy? But you already pre-select those and say, God, pick them. And I feel like we were in that situation. We were saying that we like Cupertino. We like South Bay. We like our lifestyle. We like the things that we have. I like driving. I like sunny days to play ultimate. And we, we want to engage. We want to be part of what you're doing. But we're giving you multiple choice. Just help us to pick something that we already like. But when we decided and we say that, God, what do you want us to do? How do you want us as a family to participate, to engage in your great commission? But I'm not going to give you a multiple choice. I'm not going to limit you. You tell us. It's going to be an open-ended question. What do you want us to be? What do you want us to do? When that question, when you're earnest seeking, it is open-ended question. God wants to reveal that to you. And it is then. My wife had a revelation. She said, for us to live in the Bay Area, uh, she has to make a lot of money as a psychotherapist, and she does. She's the one that brings most of our income. But if we move to Taiwan... As you said, it's been so cheap. I repeated many, many times. That's only a quarter of the expenses. We can together be missionaries. And I can, she can really invest in some of the pastoral counseling training that she's been doing all along. And she was right. Friend, are you going to be open with an open-ended question and say, God, here I am. Here is my life. Here's my talent. Here's my skill. Here's my experience. Here's my education. What do you want to do with me and my time here on earth? What are you going to do with me and my influence, my resources? Or are you going to give God multiple choice answers and say, I, I'm going to pre-select something I really like already. Help me pick. Woo-hoo. Because I believe when you are saying that your life is a blank check, God is going to write it, and he's going to write it to some very exciting places. Places that you might have never imagined that you're in, but next thing you know, you are in it. And you're engaging in it. And your life is going to be alive. Because Jesus said, whoever is going to lose his life for his sake is going to find it. But whoever wants to hold on to your own life and try to plan it, control it in a way that you know how the best, ultimately will lose it. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I believe this decision only can be made that you can have such faith to just let it out. Let God make that decision for you, open-ended, when you have engaged and experienced the gospel. The gospel in the way that 
Paul has experienced it. Whatever were gained to Paul, now he considered a loss for Christ. And then he explains a little bit more what this gospel really is. He says, to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Friends, this might sound so normal and you heard it so many times. I want to just explain to you a little bit. He is talking about a, a really a transfer, transfer of significance, transfer of your ultimate meaning. Because friends, ultimately speaking, today, right now, most of us, we have a functional God. We have a functional idols in our life. That's what Paul is talking about. That there is a something that you are justifying yourselves with. That you call really righteousness of your own. Back then, maybe it's moral superiority moral and uh, religious purity. But for us, it's a way that you think this is what gives your life meaning. If I become a vice president by 30, start my own company by 35, if I can retire by age 40, cool. Maybe it's not your career. Maybe it's your kids. I expect my kids to do well. Maybe it's not a relationship. Some people have hobbies. Facing up cars, whatever it might be. But if God takes away that away from you, you know that you have a such sense of loss. That, that's what Paul's talking about. Paul is saying that if you are a real Christian, you have experienced this gospel, really, there is nothing else that trumps what Jesus Christ is doing in your life. Nothing. Friends, when I am... In Asia, I, I have heard quite a few stories of conversion. Some people that we invite from our church to join us. One of the ladies, she grew up in a very wealthy Taiwanese family. And she told us after she became Christian, because her family is very involved in local idol worship, they basically kicked her out. They rent her out of the inheritance plan, which is large sum of money. It's, there is sacrifice. But Jesus Christ and the gospel is so important to her that she'd rather be found in Christ than having those things. It's not easy that her family long, no longer talks to her. It's not easy. But she says that her relation to Jesus is so important to her that she's willing to give that up. I, I found out another lady. There's another lady that her family in Taiwan was uh, leading worship services for those Buddhist temple type of things. So they, they're engaging spiritual, uh, a lot of spiritual activities. So, so she came with a lot of baggage. When she became Christian, there were basically evil spirits following her. And she, she can feel that. It, it scares her. It, just scare, it scares everybody. It, it should scare you. Okay? And, but, but she says because the gospel is so real, it gives her comfort, it gives her the strength to deal with spiritual warfare like that. Friends, 
I, I'm so afraid for us comfortable North American Christians that Christianity, our faith, is a nice addition. It's a little nice moral behavior training. We take our kids on Sunday so they hear a little bit how to be a nice person. But there's a cost. Is the gospel real to you? Because if it is real, I believe that it will turn you a life inside out, change upside down. That you will turn you to be a person that will be able to hear the commission of God. Next slide. You see a lot of, um, we, we engage in a lot of uh, camp ministry. And our ministry will be having a short-term mission doing some, some of that ministry in China this coming summer. Go visit our booth in the back later. And you know what? Most of those campers, students, they grew up without their parents. How many of you have iPhones? Take it out. All right. I, I, my old house used to be like a stone floor away from the, the Apple campus, the, the spaceship, right? Do you know that there are about three, uh, 260 million migrant workers in China? Basically, people from the inland area, they go to one of the big factories on the coastal cities, and they work on your iPhone. And most of them can work in those iPhone plants. And one of those plants are usually like 50,000 people, okay? And one of the cities I, I went to, they have three of them. It's like a mini city. Cupertino has 50,000 people. <laughs> and they work in them 12 hours a day. And they say that the busiest time that they have usually is from like May to October. You know why? They're working on your iPhone for your Christmas. And those jobs, usually they say last four months. And then they work, and then they're done, and then they migrate to another plant, some other city. And what happens is those young people, and they're not so young, some of them 20 in the mid-30s, and they have to leave their family, sometimes their children behind in those rural villages, and they go work in those cities. And practically, you have a whole generation of young children, youth, grew up without their parents. They have 10, 15 minutes, maybe a week, on the phone. They will call each other. They'll see each other's face. We chat one another. They grew up raised by their grandparents. And sometimes grandparents just don't have the energy to discipline them. And they're running amok. And there's a huge social issue. They had nobody to be a model teaching them. How to live, how to be a good person, how to study hard. I mean, they probably hear that on the phone all the time with their parents, and that's all they hear. There was a really uh, sad video that if you've ever seen recently, uh, the Apple sponsored this director from China to, to show. And what, what it shows a life of this uh, train conductor. And she was conducting trains, and she can't see her kids very often. And she was conducting trains just to pass by. It just happened to pass by the, their own city where her sister and her child lives. And they have three minutes because the train is going to stop at that hometown for three minutes. So the sister took her child to come over to meet 
her at the train station. It was a short film. And guess what this little kid did when she saw her mother as a train conductor? Came down the train, shuffled everybody into the train. He started reciting the multiplication table. Just to prove to her mom that she was worthy of her love and visit because I have done something. This is a performance mentality that you have in their relationship. Friends, what do you want to do? We have an opportunity to offer genuine love of Jesus Christ. That we can mentor some students. That's an opportunity that we have. That's an opportunity that we have. The second thing, besides gospel, commission, that we'll see signs and wonders. That's what the Bible says, right? Friends, when is the last time you are all with the gospel, with Christianity, with something that is, you, you just like, wait a second. I, I have to say, American Christianity, we are really good at planning. We are really good at working out all the details. Like the way that you and I, we can worship here today. We can have two, three hundred of you sitting out there, driving into the city, uh, you know, parking and, and PowerPoint presentation, sound amplification. All those things requires a lot of planning. Do you know that? Requires a lot of things to work out. I mean, electricity, if we don't have it, it's all over, Right? In other parts of the world, they have worship services. That doesn't require this much planning. That doesn't require this much, uh, you know, detail. I hate to say it, because of our planning, because what we're really good at, I think many times, many times that we have this illusion of control. We have this illusion of that we are on top of things. And when, we, when I talk with my ministry partners overseas, they often give me the feedback. You Americans think you guys got everything under control. And they're right. But the reality is we don't have it under control. Okay? We have this mentality. If we're hard enough, we put in the hour, we should advance in our career. If we put in the hours, you know, this activity should turn out. How many people should show up? Right? If we advertise it well, we have a skit to do a little, you know, but that's not the case. In most places in the world, if you don't bribe the right officials, nothing's going to get done, right? It doesn't matter how much effort you put into it, right? Friends, we, in our society, we, we really see and have this wonder and awe for the power of the gospel. But, did you know, if you want to be a pastor in Taiwan, Taiwan is such a place with so many, you know, demonic forces, you know, really spiritual forces. And don't get me wrong, I am not in any way or sense, you know, sort of charismatic. I don't have any of those gifts. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit still works today, but it's just not one of my gifting. But if you want to be a pastor in Taiwan... They do exorcism weekly. I mean, that's kind of like a class you have to teach in seminary. Do you understand? 
that's just something that it happens. And when you engage in the spiritual realm, there's a, there's a respect and fear you understand about not only the demons, but actually the bigger power stands behind our God. My uncle was telling me a story that he's a missionary in northern Thailand for 40 years. One time he, he said that he, he went to a village, preached the gospel, people converted. And by the middle of the night, the villagers came to him. They were scared. They said the, the, the idols that they've been worshiping, they don't know what to do with it. So he gathered them, took out all the shrines, burned them, he went to sleep. And at night, he was confronted by the evil spirit. It's stories like this, you should be like, wow. And you can see that in the global world. When was the last time you had that sense of awe and wonder? The people I encounter, it's sitting in my seminary, who are over 50 years old in China, their story, 80% of them, is they became Christian because of some kind of miraculous healing. Or somebody in their own family has some experience, something like that. Something supernatural. Maybe we need a little more dose of that. And maybe we don't find it here. Maybe that's the reason why you should go over overseas to, to, to experience some of that, to, to see some of them. How the train just serendipitously, you know, arrive on time. There are so many times that I could have missed a train, missed a, you know, flight, but somehow God worked things out so I can be at somewhere, a certain place at the right time to minister to the right people. Friends, where is the wonder of, you know, the awe that you have for, for God? Another thing I believe we can learn from our partners, you know, they're so generous. I teach at some of those places. Some of uh, uh, my students, they will actually go pick the, like, seriously, farm fresh this morning, like onions or bai chai, and they cook it for lunch. And it's the best tasting, you know, vegetable I've ever had. By the way, tomatoes you eat in America, in Safeway, it's terrible. <laughs> they spray, with, you know, chemicals to make it hard. You know, it's, it's arrived green, right? They spray some chemical to make it red, like turn out. I mean, if you have something that's farm-grown, you know, vine-ripe, took it out, it tastes totally different. And they're so generous. They will give. I, I know this little church of 40 people. And you know what? They have a large senior community in, the, in, in, their, in their village, and they started a senior home. Everybody just chipped in. It's not like any of them are millionaires. I know that for a fact. But how do they do that? Because they understand that when the gospel impact changed their lives, generosity is not something that we give out of our excess. It's not like, oh, we have a little extra. Let me give you something. They give until it hurts. And that's part of who they are. But when you have gospel that is so central to your life that you will consider everything else as rubbish, garbage, it's not, it's not that hard. And they can do that. And they're just simply responding to God's commission and calling. Can we do that? Can we do that? Fellowship. 
they meet together all the time. By the way, I, I want to say that I think Asian Americans, a lot of times in North America already, we do a lot more fellowship time. Okay? But compared to them, man, we're still, I mean, I used to host like a young adult fellowship and youth group in my house once a week, sometimes twice a week. And I'm like, oh, it's so tiring, right? And we're like as fellowshipping as possible already, right? And how many of you had some other people visit, like outside of your family members, visit your house in the last week? Anyone? Okay, I, I see like maybe college students' dormitory room doesn't count, okay? <laughs> I see like maybe not more than 10 hands. I, I hope you understand, we live in a very individualistic society. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, in fact, as a pastor, I really visit people's home now. Okay, the last 10 years of my pastorate, I probably visit people in their home not more than 10 times. I mean, like, you're a bad pastor. I, stop judging me, okay? But most of the time, they'll ask, Pastor Peter, can we meet in my uh, Google for lunch? It's free anyway, right? You know, so I just go, right? But generally speaking, people don't want me to visit their home. Why? Because they had to clean up, you know. They had to cook special meals and stuff like that, right? But the reality is, we North Americans, we don't know how to do fellowship, all right? Acts 2, they say they are hanging out all day long. They're breaking bread. They're chilling together. This is how they're living over there. I mean, why go over there on Sunday morning when they're preaching? My partner, one of my staff, you know, I said, oh, so when it, you guys have 1030 service. That's awesome, dude. Their Sunday service starts at 5 with prayer meeting. Okay? 5 a.m., okay? Go to 7 and they have a quick you know, breakfast together to warm them up. And then they got me up there to preach about 8.30. And I went up there in my typical American style. I worked with youth for a long time. And in my first few times in my broken Chinese, it was like 25 minutes max. I went down. And they were looking at me. They were just like all looking at me. They thought I was going to go get a drink and come back. And then my partner next to me and just like, oh, yeah. Our preaching usually is about three and a half hours. We go till two. And I went up and I just tried my best. I pulled another sermon and just did it. <laughs> and I, I just couldn't stretch it over like hour, right? And I went down and my, my partner just kind of looked at me and he's like, all right, I'll cover you. I'll help you out here. He just went up and preached the, the next three hours. Right? That's... That's how they do fellowship, all right? And after that, they have lunch. And that's another, it's not like we order out. They just start cooking and everybody start cooking together. That's fellowship. That's living together. There's a lot we can learn. Do you understand? That we live in such fast-paced life. We're, we have such control over our schedule. We think this is what we need to do. But what does it really look like? This is something that you and I, we can learn when we go overseas. Leadership development. Friends, I have to say, North American Christianity, I compare it to IBM. How many young people even know what IBM is? 
we still we have something going on in South San, uh, San Jose over there, Almaden Expressway, right? But it's a going down, right? It's rough. In some way, Christianity in North America, we're like on the defensive, right? Christianity in China, in Asia, it's growing. It's like Google 10 years ago, right? It's the next thing. It's growing so fast. Right now, there are about 80 million Christians. They say that by 2040, there will be 280 million Christians. It will make China the country with most Christians in the world. You know that? It's growing so fast. I mean, they don't have time to play church politics. It's 40 people. It's too big. You know, it's, police are going to find out. You. Go start a church. Just go. Okay? You, go. And when that happens, it provides new opportunity for new young leaders to rise up. And they just, a lot of them are just planting new churches all the time. And that's what it's supposed to be. It, I, I understand a lot of us serve in the church and it's great that you do. But so often, our service, our talent, our gifting you might found your right place and you've been doing that for 20 years, but you might be stopping other young people from participating in it, right? Something we can learn from the missions field. Something we can learn from the missions field. What's something else that we can learn from the mission field? They need leaders. All right, don't get me wrong. In missions field, they need leaders. They need church planting. I'll just give you some example. So exciting. One of my partners, on the board of ONF, he's a businessman, entrepreneur. He started like 10 cafes around college campuses in, China, in Taiwan. Okay? And he had a hope, he had a dream to want to turn those cafes into church plants and college fellowships. And he said... I said, wow, that's great. I said, you have any people that's doing that? He said, no, nobody. I have one staff. And I said, uh, what kind of qualification does it need? I said, oh, we need people who are energized, really, to just hang out with people. Basically describing a, you know, Campus Crusade IB staff, okay? And I said, does, he need to, does this person need to speak Chinese or Taiwanese? He said, no. I said, why not? You're going to be in Taiwan. He said, oh, in our experience, when we start in Chinese, nobody comes. But if you speak English, you draw international students. When we draw international students, those Chinese people come. <laughs> all right. So just to let you know, like, you speaking English is a huge, valuable asset, okay, anywhere else in the world. And I said, really? then guess what? I'm going to help you recruit. And I'm doing that today to you guys. So young people, you can do this and sign up for a two-year internship, okay? And lead a college fellowship, start a church in Taiwan. Everything's set up for you. Just go. Do you realize there's an opportunity out there like this? Okay, college ministry in China, I know this university, the recruiter of the English department for foreign teachers is a good friend of mine, used to be a missions pastor in Los Gatos Baptist Church over there. And he recruits a lot of Christian teachers to go and teach English, teach uh, various subjects. 
And you know what? Those professors, they're like rock stars on campus. I can't believe it. I, when I went and visit, I'm like, wow, those guys are, you know, just organizing games and shows, hanging out with students on KTVs. Like, you know, I was like, wow. Of course, they need mentors. I have some retired couple, North Americans, early retirement. They just move to China, to a city. And I said, what do you guys do over there? It's like, oh, no, not much. We just live our lives, and we invite the local pastors to just have dinner with them because they realize the local pastors are so overworked, and they don't have anybody mentoring them. They have no model of a good relationship in marriage in these two early 60s-year-old retirees, they just live there and, and mentoring those pastors, young pastors, and support them and have a wonderful ministry. So friends, missions are not just for young people, for you early retirees too, okay? I'm trying to cover all the bases here, friends. Really, if you're open, God will lead you. If you don't give him the multiple choice and you let him fill in the blank, you can walk in something extremely, extremely exciting. Finally, persecution. Sometimes we just live in such a comfortable place in North America, in our own Christianity, in our own family. Maybe you have grandkids coming up. Maybe whatever it might be, just so comfortable. Sometimes God, the only way that God will shake the Christians to, to really go where he wants us to go is persecution. And friends, I want to tell you, I think the latest wave of persecution in China actually opens up a whole new door for a lot of us, Asian Americans, Chinese Americans. You know why? You know why? I have some friends recently reported that a lot of, there were a lot of Korean missionaries in China, they've been kicked out. Okay, they used to have kind of fake business visa. They kind of found out and just like don't let you in anymore. A lot of the white missionaries, one of the missionaries I, I met just two Sundays ago when I was in Taiwan, he and his family came over. And I said, why, why are you here? He said, I've been teaching in this university for six years as a business professor. He has some business background. And, but he was helping out some local pastors start a seminary so some one they they found out the security people went to the president and said one of your professors doing this the president fired him on the spot that you have a week to leave china and that's happening to a lot of white missionaries in china it leaves a vacuum it leaves a vacuum friends do you know that People sitting here, you guys are, people in the Bay Area, we're one of the most well-resourced, well-educated people in the world. There is going to be a, a huge vacuum. And I feel like I'm in the right place and the right time because I know my calling, knowing that I've been, you know, I, I was born in Taiwan, can speak the language. I spent most of the majority of my life in the U.S., educated here, that I'm a bridge between the two. That's why I'm here to broadcasting to you the needs out there 
And not just a general need, but it's a very particular need. Because I believe Asian Americans, in many ways, will play a very particular role in the next wave of missions. To be part of this growing movement, pushing this from 80 million Christians to 260 million Christians. We have a huge part of that, that we, we need to be part of. Are you willing to say to God, I'm no longer going to give you multiple choices about my future, about where I'm going to live, about the career I'm going to take, the people I'm going to marry, or person I'm going to marry. And say, God, take me. Because my story can be part of this great story. This great movement of Christianity and where he is headed. I want to end with one final story. My wife, now she's on the missions field. I have never seen her so excited and so alive in her life. You know why? She found a purpose. She was invited last November to be part of this, um, oh, slides can keep on going. To, to, to this conference, one of the first conference of its kind, that there are missionaries being sent out from China already. Okay? So she was invited to be a counselor's support to those missionaries. And by the way, the missionary being sent out from China, they have 95% casualty rate. When I mean casualty rate, and I want you to understand how they send out missionaries in China. They will say, hey, you, you look, you know, you, you've been coming to our church for, for a long time. You're a dedicated, you're a responsible person. Go to Pakistan. And we'll give you two weeks of training and train you in for spiritual law and a few phrases in Pakistani. And we'll probably buy you a train ticket because it's landlocked, so China too. Train ticket to Pakistan and $200. Go. That's it. Okay? So they went. Most of those Chinese missionaries don't survive past 18 months. The worst example is, you know, I've heard this story from the conference that people are so depressed. They don't know how to cross cultural. They were never trained. They jump out of a six-story window committing suicide. To some of the stories that you have heard, two young Chinese missionaries martyred, killed in Pakistan. Why? Because they were doing open-air evangelism in a strictly Muslim neighborhood. They were not trained. But most of the cases, when I say casualty, is that they had so much trouble communicating. They, they, were, they feel like they were not effective, ineffective in their evangelism, and they were just so ashamed of their ineffectiveness. They basically come back to China, tails between their legs, and we don't want anybody to find out, and we will just disappear into some other place. And they never hear from them again, ever, 18 months later. So the people that my wife will have an opportunity to engage, to be engaging, to, to minister to, they're, they're, they've been on the field for five years. So they're the survivors. Only 30 of them left. Or 40. But as they tell her their story, my wife's heart 
is just broken for them. And, and now she is just so excited. She said, you know what? We know all these member care, missionary support organizations in North America. There's all kinds of things in, you know, online. But maybe we just provide them with some of those information. Maybe we can connect them with some of those other counselors. And, and she's working on that. And, and she's so engaged and she's so alive because of it, because she found her calling. Friends, sometimes you have to go to find your calling. Sometimes you have to live out the gospel as we have talked about, to be engaging in generosity, to be engaged in fellowship, to be engaged in the spreading of the gospel, to be engaged to, for you to find your mission feel, for you to grasp that sense of commission. When you are living out your Christian life daily, faithfully, and when you take that opportunity and the risk to go on the field, maybe then God will reveal to you your calling. Then that you can live a life of purpose. What an exciting journey. What an exciting journey. So I invite you, friends, last slide, to come see the world with me. Some of you see this picture, and, and the tech guy yesterday said, Pastor Peter, do you have this picture wrong? No, I meant it this way. Really, because I want to, what I want to demonstrate, illustrate, is that, you know, we see the world a particular way. Usually our map is upside down with Europe right in the middle. Isn't it true? But sometimes when you just, this is the world map. It is. But sometimes... We just need to go get out there to see the world in a different way. May God bless you. May God encourage you. May God challenge you so that you can pursue him, that you can experience his gospel in a way that's so real that you can respond to his commission. Let's pray together. Uh, God, we are so grateful that you're good. We're so grateful that your gospel is real and the power is real. God, may you call us, encourage us, commission us. God, give us the courage to give you a blank check, to invite you, to call us to be part of your story. It is only then, it is only then that we can found who can be found in your great story. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.